0: Hello, and welcome to the Superhero by Design podcast, a show where we interview real life superheroes. My name is Ace, and I'll be your host. If you are a person who has ever experienced any kind of trauma in your life, this is the episode for you. Coming on is a man who has dedicated himself and his life's work to healing survivors of trauma. Not only does he heal people, but he does it at lightning speed. Let's give it up for Dr. John Connolly. Dr. Connolly, welcome to the show.
1: Wow. I, I could listen
0: to you introduce me all day. Uh, but- I-, I could do it over and over. I don't know if the audience would like it, but I'd be happy doing it.
1: <laughs> and I'd be happy receiving it, but I guess we should think about making them happy too.
0: That's right. Well, for the listeners, Dr. John Connolly first founded the Institute for Survivors of Sexual Violence a nonprofit 501c3 organization engaged in research and development of cutting-edge treatment for survivors of trauma. Dr. John is also the author of Life-Changing Conversations with Rapid Resolution Therapy, which demonstrates the power of a single session to resolve ongoing trauma and turmoil and dramatically improve well-being. Also, if you need more information on him, and what he does, check out his website at rapidresolutiontherapy.com. Learn more about John and the amazing services that he and his team provides. All right, doctor. I am going to start off with an unnerving question, all right? How about if, how about if you call me John and I call you Ace?
1: I love it. John, That's you ready better. for my... No, I, I think I only made my mom call me doctor twice. You okay. could just always call me John. <laughs>
0: Why I am good with John. So, John, how are you doing today? You know,
1: it's today I'm grateful.
0: Um, I,
1: I, I when we just met a few moments ago, I said I feel grateful, relieved and happy. I found my way to just where there is to be today.
0: That's incredible. Well, I am just as excited and happy to be here with you doing my research on you. You have done incredible things with your life. You're very mission oriented. You're very much wanting to just help people. And we will be getting into the ins and out of that because I know what you do day in and day out is revolutionary. It is absolutely incredible. And it blows modern psychology and therapy out of the water. However, I would like to take a quick little step back and just learn more a little bit about your background, your upbringing. Um, so let's just start from the beginning. Where were you born and raised? I grew up in um, in Long Island. Okay. Long Island. So uh, a Northeasterner. Um, Long Island is just east of New York City, right? Or that That's part it. of... Yeah, yeah. Okay. And lots of good beaches, things like that. So I'm assuming you spent a lot of time outdoors, maybe at the beach, things like that. I grew up
1: in a household that had me and five grown-ups there was my great grandmother my grandmother my grandfather my mother my aunt i hope i counted them right and <laughs> and me uh, so i didn't um, and there weren't there wasn't really access to other kids so i i i think i was um, I was often within my own mind, um, and uh, when it came to, like, getting out and showing up, um, I I was a real kind of shy, quiet, retiring guy, cleaning out my garage, which wasn't so fun. I came upon my, I think, first report card, um, which I think was before kindergarten in a, in a, in a nursery school, um, and, and it said stuff like, John is a nice, sweet, quiet boy. He has begun to play with the other children a little bit. <laughs> and, and likes to sit quietly on his own. I thought, oh, my goodness, was I pathetic?
0: Uh, <laughs> well, that makes sense. Growing up in a house uh, full of adults. Yeah. Other kids were not around. Um, back then, there wasn't the internet or video games or oh, any goodness. of that entertainment stuff like there is today.
1: Ace, when I was growing up, if you didn't answer the phone, it meant you weren't home.
0: Right. Or or if you didn't show up somewhere when you pre-planned, that actually never happened. You would, You would get a warning or... I don't know, maybe someone got kidnapped or <laughs> killed there you go. because yeah. you showed up when you sh- had to show up. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So going through Long Island, growing up, uh, it sounds like you were uh, kind of an introverted kid, very introspective, which kind of makes sense with what you do these days. Did you know that therapy and working with people with trauma, or that have experienced traumatic experiences, did you always have an inkling that that was kind of the direction you wanted to go, help people that are in need? Or tell, tell us a little bit about how you oh, came earliest about.
1: earliest memory, which I, I don't, I think I haven't shared with anybody. I think there's good reason I didn't, but I'll share it with you. Uh, and that early memory is uh, sitting with my mom and I don't know, maybe I was five. And um, we started talking about careers. And, and I, I was, you know, just seeing what people did. Back then we had somebody called the milkman. Yep. Um, that guy used to drive up in a truck and bring bottles of milk and leave them. And mom said, well, what about a milkman? And I said, yeah, I don't think I'd want to wake up that early, and I don't like carrying bottles. I'd probably drop and break them. Uh, And she said, well, what about a fireman? And I said, no, then I'd have to climb ladders up real high and go into smoky burning buildings. That would be really, I I wouldn't be any good at it. She said, what about a policeman? I said, well, then people get mad at you because you're doing something they don't like. Uh, And and we kept going through these things, Ace, until she could tell. I I was thinking, gosh, Mom, I I don't think I'd ever be able to do anything. Uh, and, And she said, don't you worry about it. There are people who are even more successful than those folks. Um, uh, and and I said, "Well, what what work do they do?" And she said, "You know what? They don't even have to work. They they just talk to people." I said, well, "I can do that." <laughs> so that was my early career uh, thing. I didn't know what it looked like, but it, it sure built beat delivering milk or climbing into burning buildings.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting (laughs) that, that you tell that story. I remember I wrote about this in my book, but I didn't realize it at the time. I I grew up in a family where my parents already knew they had a set uh, agenda for what I should do. And I followed that agenda. I listened to their advice. I, in that respect, I, I followed them to a T and I became a engineer, structural engineer, and I, I enjoyed it, but looking back at my childhood, there was a movie that you might remember called The Elephant Man. Oh, yes. Wow. And, and what that, a blast
1: from the past that
0: is. Oh, right. Yeah. No, it's, it's an older movie. That's, that's for sure. And I remember when I was a child, my parents had it on. I deci- I loved watching television with my, with my parents, no matter what they were watching. And I sit sitting down and I watched probably about five to 10 minutes of that movie. And if you remember anything from it, it's about a man who was born disfigured and he, he was throughout the movie. He was just treated so poorly. And I remember just watching a scene. I don't even remember the exact scene, but this, this man was just being treated worse than an animal. This, you know, no value whatsoever. People just completely disregarded him and were violent towards him. Even at certain points, I remember just crying and I just ran out of the, ran out of the room Balling. And when I look back at that time in my life, I was like, that had a severe emotional reaction to me. And when I realized why it had gotten me so emotional is because I get this from my mother, but I just love people, no matter who they are, no matter what their walk of life is. I honestly believe that everybody is born and special and unique and that everybody deserves to be treated fairly. And that's why I'm on this whole mission as I started to rediscover myself as a child, and really what was in my heart, rather than what other people were telling me how I should live my life, what I should do, what my career or mission should be. I finally dug back deep into my early childhood and really started putting the puzzle because there's other stories too, but this one is like the main story for me for for my journey. And I was just like, out of that, I got. I was just, I love people, and I want to help people, and I want to change people. And so, hearing a story like that, it just brings me back to to my childhood and understanding. I never like, thought of
1: that that movie for a long time So you just brought it up. It was highly disturbing right for me to 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 watch that it was like i mean give me fingernails on a blackboard yeah right Uh, um because that was disturbing but not like this just seeing that cruelty and banishment
0: oh yeah yeah it's just it's it can it's very upsetting how certain people can treat other people in this world. However, the opposite is true too. And for sure. And so sounds like growing up, you had this innate knowledge, at least to some degree of what you wanted to do. So,
1: Oh, I just figured there wasn't anything she mentioned that I could do. Uh, I want this talk to people and, be successful that way thing even meant i just felt relieved i wouldn't have to climb up a ladder and uh go into burning buildings if there was another path
0: yeah and that's part of it too is like a lot of people try to focus on what do i want what do i want but sometimes you got to ask yourself the question what don't i want and if you know what you don't want that at least rules out certain possibilities that are are uh i guess that's not for you I guess that's yeah. how
1: it happened. I uh, I remember graduating from college with a bachelor's in history, and I started looking in the want ads because I'm ready to work, you know? And so, mm. you know what? I, they didn't seem to have any listings for people as, as junior historians. So, I was looking and yep. looking and looking and feeling, oh my goodness! I just completed four years of college. I can't do a damn thing. They want welders. That makes sense. I can't weld. I can't this. I can't that. I can talk to you about some things that happened. Um, that's what I. That's what I learned in college, and um, I. I remember calling my grandfather uh, for advice at that point and said, "Grandfather, I've." completed college, and now I think I should work. And he says, sounds like a good idea. And I said, well, I'm looking in the want ads, and I can't do anything. And he said, what did you do in college? And I said, wrote papers and took tests. And he said, were you any good at taking tests? And I said, well, good enough to get out. And he said, here, go to this address and just tell them you want to take tests. And I did. And... There I was uh, taking these various civil service tests. And next thing I knew, I was hired um, to be what they called the child protective service worker. Okay. Prior to getting the job, I didn't know that existed. And then all of a sudden, there I was one. And they... They told me what I was supposed to do was uh, go uh, knock on doors where people were alleged to be neglecting or abusing children and um, do what I could to make them stop doing that. And in the last possible resort, get the kid out of that unsafe um, environment. So that was my... uh, that was my first work experience.
0: Yeah. Was that, how was that for you emotionally? Because you're just a kid out of college, didn't, didn't know the industry or, or what you were even getting into. Can you kind of walk us through the emotions oh, you went through? Space. Um, I, uh,
1: well, there I have a degree in history, what I'm, what I'm supposed to do it, it involves all of these skills that I absolutely didn't ever acquire anywhere. Um, so what am I supposed to do with with a degree in history? But they said, "Well, you just get your supervisor to help you." Um, she had a more specialized degree, so it was better. She she was um, had her degree in art history. Um, so I wasn't sure <laughs> how that was supposed to how that was supposed to help me. But th- the nice thing about beginning with that particular job is ever since I finally left there, uh, uh, it's almost like being on vacation. That that was the most uh, burdensome, scary uh, thing. It's like a ton of children are identified as in danger. Um, in situations that may be really bad for them. And, and so it's on me. I mean, it's, uh, I'm the guy. And, and they didn't give us any kind of real resources to get that job done. So it, it was such a fearful time that I would do that wrong. And, you know, it's, It's not a good idea to grab children from places where it would be better for them to stay. Right. And it's not a good idea to um, have a kid in some situation where I'm supposed to have been intervening and then the kid gets burned or killed or something because I didn't do it. So I was living with a whole whole lot of just uh, sort of... I want to say responsibility, but it was bigger. It was oppressive. I remember way back then, um, there was a song um, Bob Dylan put out. Um, and I, it was, Mama, take this badge off of me. I can't wear it anymore. Uh, it's getting dark, too dark to see. feel like I'm knocking on heaven's door. So it's a song about like dying. mm mm-hmm. um, take the badge off and die. And I was thinking, yes, tonight. <laughs> get me, get me out of here. Where, where, where if some kid gets burnt up, it's not because of me. Uh, but I did it for, um, for quite a few years.
0: And um, that, that, that was the beginning. It was a scary way to start. I can't even imagine... I had a hard enough time getting thrown into an office and having to sit in front of a computer from eight to five. I I couldn't (laughs) imagine dealing with real life traumatic situations, really. I drive around the block five times trying to work up
1: the courage to go knock on the door and say, well, hi, good to meet you. Uh, You know, uh, there's been an allegation that you've been kind of like messing with your daughter, you know? a little bit, you know. No, I can't tell you who said that, but I'd like to have a heart-to-heart with her if that's okay with you, guy. That guy's like, you know, six foot eight with um, um, muscles bigger than I've ever seen and uh, and I'm at his door. Uh, Hey, I'd like to come in, invade your space, invade your family, ask super personal questions and spend some time alone with your 14-year-old daughter. How would that be?
0: Right. That
1: sounds uh, insane. Uh, 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 oh, gosh. But, um, you know, plotted my, my, way, um, my way through it. I, I just um, still know people who do that kind of thing um, as, as what they're involved in. And I, I think it's an amazing thing to do. I don't think people ought to do it very long. I, I think I, I did it maybe four or five years. I don't think any longer would have been good.
0: Yeah. It sounds like. the it's
1: a burnout job. Yep. And if you're burnt out, you don't want burnt out child protective service workers. You know, whatever.
0: No, that's All true. Right. I, I commend you. That, that sounded like just a crazy, like you said, an oppressive situation. Like. That's.
1: And so that's where I got interested. Of course, I got exposed to trauma. I went from there to working in a um, short-term residential community for runaway, throwaway children. Um, um, and we had kids from 12 through 17 for a short time. I was And I was supposed to be the clinical supervisor and tell people how to do stuff. I mean, I didn't know how to do stuff. Um, I mean, I probably shouldn't have been hired to be a line worker, much less on top of the whole thing. And there I was, like, on top of it and trying to figure it out um, step by step and 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 get that done. So those two things really taught me about... Um, how awful things can happen to people who have no say in them at all. I I would tell you, Ace, that you certainly don't like to see 14-year-old girls living on the street, but for the ones I worked with, 90% of them, that was about the best decision they could have made. Wow. In other words, the, the home situation was so bad that Um, hanging out at 14, female, Um, out of there was actually safer than being there for for a whole lot of them. And and that got me kind of seeped in this interest in how can we, you know, got to do something about this and what is there, what is there to do?
0: Right, right. Well, so it sounds like you've you got some experience obviously around people in traumatic situations. Your background however wasn't in therapy or anything like that. So Well then I went to graduate school to get a degree
1: so I could do counseling and therapy and um and then you know I wanted to make a difference for people who had been Dramatized or just who were feeling miserable. But the, the education that I got, I don't think really prepared me to do things that actually made a difference. Um, and uh, it just wasn't okay not to and I, 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 I tried doing what I was told, and it didn't seem to work. And that's when I began like, trying to figure out what might work, because what I was taught to do didn't seem to work. And I called classmates. I said, did I fall asleep during those classes on how you're actually supposed to be useful? And they said, no, I don't think they gave us any of those. I said, well, here I am. People are coming to me. Eventually, I was in a private practice. I said, people are coming to me for all kinds of stuff. What, what am I supposed to do? I said, all I learned to do is ask them questions and then ask them more questions. Um, are my are my questions really useful? Um, and And it took people through kind of long trips to, Answering questions, I was told that if people felt bad, it was because they hadn't released feelings. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what I was up to was looking to get people to talk about things that were troubling, and and then to feel badly about them, and then to cry or scream or 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 vomit or bang uh, in order to get the feeling out. And I thought, well, I deserve this crap because I wasn't able to protect all those kids when I was doing that. And I wasn't able to protect those teens. So now these people are coming to me all screwed up and, and I've got to make them relive the worst moments of their life and sob and vomit. Uh, and, and I hate this, but I better do it because somebody needs to do it. And I kept doing it until I realized it didn't work. And that's when I said, I'm going to try figuring out other stuff, other ways to um, um, move people forward and make a difference in their lives, other than the stuff I was taught. And so I built this system. We call it rapid resolution therapy. And um, it's... Very different. It's like opposite of of stuff I was learned. and Ace, if I could, I'd like to tell you one fundamental difference. I would um, love to hear it, yeah, which and and is the people who I train and I well, and the people I train um believe it's their job to get people better. So if somebody comes to me and says, "You know." I'm depressed or I have nightmares or I am embarrassed to talk to people, whatever the heck it is. Um, um I think I'm that it's my job to to make that better. And if I don't, it's because I didn't have the skill to do it. And if you talk to people in the mental health industry, I've never heard somebody from that industry say to me yeah i was not um useful to that client because i didn't have the skill to be useful never not once i've heard other than people who are training with me and part of what i'm doing i hear oh that person wasn't ready to change that person lacked motivation that person um uh was resistant um all, all, all this kind of thing constantly. So it it occurred to me that the mental health industry takes no responsibility for making people better, and if they fail to serve the person that they're there to serve, it's always that person's fault.
0: That's interesting that you say that because I've been through therapy a few times in my life, and at times. I've I've done sessions of therapy for two, three years at a time, and I felt like I was going in and just rehashing, like you said, traumatic events or memories. There would be crying, sobbing, things like that. And I felt like I was getting a little bit better, but I was just talking to somebody. Well,
1: it's good to have somebody to talk to, and the, right. now there are these heavily advertised group online psychotherapy practices. There are a few big ones. I sponsor 90% of the podcasts. I have to listen to their ads to listen to my favorite podcasts. And and the message seems to be you you need somebody to talk to.
0: Right. A friend, a confidant. And, and
1: I, I I think, you know, I I found a guy um, and and I go to talk to him. Um, I pay for it, and he throws in a haircut. Um,
0: so. <laughs> that's right, yeah. That's a great place to get, get so, some therapy. So that's, <laughs> um, and, and a lot of people,
1: that's who they're talking to. You know, they're hairstylists, the that's doing their nails, a uh, uh, person sitting next to them while their nails are being done, um, and it's, but, but I mean i do I, I do see how um somebody there um caring about you is 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 useful I just would like the people who are um, trained to provide assistance to somebody who's really hurting to think it's their job to do that and I feel the same way about the educational system by the way um, when I'm seeing people who are troubled by things, they've gone through an educational system in which, I mean, how do we teach kids? We We bribe them or punish them. We publicly shame them. And then if they don't shape up, we banish them from the community. And then we hear about some isolated, banished kid meeting some isolated, banished friend and coming back with machine guns. I think, you know, the, the, the assistant principal called one of the people that I know, she's a single mother. She has three children and she works at um, a, a donut place uh, and does extra shifts. Trying to put it together. And the um, assistant principal called her and said, We're um, really concerned about Johnny. Um, He's fallen asleep in history class. So please fix that. And it occurred to me they've got a principal, an assistant principal, two psychologists, three social workers. 11 guidance counselors, and everybody else has a master's in education. And they're calling this gal who works at Dunkin' Donut to fix things that happen within the school. So I That's just insane. said to her, why don't you wait a few days and 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 call him? Get the principal on the phone. Say it's an emergency. And when he says, well, what is it, ma'am? You just say, well, I told my kid to do the dishes last night, and he didn't do it with them. So I'd You're like right. you to fix yeah. that when you go to school <laughs> tomorrow. It, it makes more sense than the other. Um, yeah. I think if the kids are falling asleep in, in, in class, maybe the, um, um, the solution is be more exciting as an instructor.
0: I think, yeah, and everything you just said, like Keep you talked about. Alike. Exactly. Like you now talked about. People with,
1: are falling asleep listening to us. We better scream and yell a little louder here rather than say those stupid people are
0: too sleepy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and I think that just goes back to what, what you've been hitting on is just taking accountability and personal responsibility for what you do and stop placing the blame or, or shifting the, shifting the uh, responsibility to someone else. and
1: Particularly to the people that were troubled and came to you. Right with that or children who yep. you know it's not that he's not motivated it's about how can you motivate him
0: exactly exactly take it upon yourself to yeah. make make the change for someone because you are the professional you are the adult and in that dynamic and i think, I think so i think so well think. we can only hope sometimes uh, Dr. John Connolly founded the Institute for Survivors of Sexual Violence, which is a 501C3 nonprofit organization engaged in research and development of cutting edge treatment for survivors of trauma. Also, check out his book. He is the author of Life Changing Conversations with Rapid Resolution Therapy. And which one demonstrates more, one more book. Uh, uh, what's the other one?
1: The other one is called Grief is Not Sacred. Okay, Grief is not sacred that's both are available on on Amazon uh, and um, people are telling me that their their lives often change um, reading the things we put out, so that's exciting.
0: That's incredible. Well, also you do have your website rapidresolutiontherapy.com Thank I believe you. i I saw those those books on your website as well um, yeah as long and also some great educational resources and things like that. So let's just jump right into the, uh, well, I always love to say the meat and potatoes of the subject. So what is rapid resolution therapy?
1: Um, Well, it's a way of thinking and acting where the facilitator or practitioner takes responsibility for causing... Um, the individual's mind to shift, change, and improve. And our interest is in doing that in ways that are as rapid as possible and also painlessly. Um, And so people are showing up with with all kinds of, um, you know, personal stucknesses. Um, I think of stuck is if you realize you're doing something and it would be better if you didn't, then you keep doing it. Or you're thinking things that are troubling and yet you keep thinking them. Um, or, or anything where you realize it would be better like this, but that doesn't happen. We think of that person as stuck. and we think that um, that it's our job, to get them unstuck. the, 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 the well, One of the things I do is every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, we do a free open group called Solutions. And uh, people uh, show up and raise their hand and say, I'm, I'm, uh, this is what's going on for me, this is what's happened, and this is where I'm stuck. And we might get through 20, 25 people in two or three hours, Monday evening. And it's so exciting, Ace, because uh, I'll get letters from people who I didn't speak to saying when I heard the way of thinking about this and this and this, it just changed it for me automatically. We're, We're looking for people to, we're looking to cause changes that happen automatically Rather than giving people um, lots and lots of, uh, giving people all this homework and telling them they need to um, um, work hard on themselves. Um, When people meet with um, me and with most of the people I've trained, they know what they, I mean, we say, um, hey, he'd like to meet with you three times. And um, then um, my job is to really listen to what he thinks I ought to know about where he's been stuck or troubled or whatever he thinks is relevant. And then my job is to cause the shift to happen, not to tell him it's his job, but to actually get in there and cause people's minds to begin to be their allies. I think our minds are incredibly complicated. Mine didn't come with an owner's manual, and it took me a long time
0: to figure out how to work it. That's incredible. So, what I'm hearing is first, the dynamic, the principal dynamic between the practitioner and the, the client or the patient. You're not putting the onus on other people to do all this self improvement, to learn these definitions, do these exercises, and if they fail, that's once again, that's on them. There's a lot of shame that comes with that kind of dynamic. So you're saying from a fundamental perspective, and, and it's less, your but not responsibility.
1: With but not with us. So if, somebody, if I don't get you better, what I say is, hey, I apologize that I didn't have the skill to be useful to you. I know that somebody else will be better at it. I don't have the key for every lock. I appreciate that you gave me a, sh- uh, a shot. Um, let me help you think about what you might do where they could do a better job for you. Right, right. Rather than, well, you weren't motivated.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And I, I appreciate you being um, honest about something like that because like you said, most psychologists would say, well, they just didn't want to change. They. I met
1: with a gal the other day
0: for the second
1: visit and I, I said to her, Hey, I've been thinking a lot about our first meeting, and you know what? I don't think I did a good job for you. And she said, well, it was fine. And I said, it wasn't fine in my book. I don't think I did a good job, but I do want to assure you I've given it a lot of thought, and I intend to be much better today for you. Blew her mind. I mean, she'd, she'd had... A hundred years of therapy, and she was only eighteen years old uh hard to fit it all in and nobody said anything like that and for me, it felt so it felt i felt buoyant mm-hmm. i i i i, I uh, and 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 I felt like kind and ethical and 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 I did something that took responsibility rather than rather than placing. Blame. We we look for certain kinds of stucknesses and 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 look to shift them. Um, and I think you, you the people that listen to you are really looking to move forward and 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 live their best lives. So I could share a few of those if it would be okay, because I think some of them people can identify. And move past just listening to us. I think that would be incredible. I, I am all ears. So one of the ones that seems to show up um, almost always when people are stuck sounds like this. Um, I'm um, I'm always late. I, I know that people think that um, that that. Um, That's disrespectful. I do feel bad about it, but it just keeps happening. We call that disappearing present. Okay. If I'm saying I'm always late, what am I talking about? My past in future tense. If I have an appointment with you, I'm going to show up 20 minutes late. Um, Well, that's future. I, I didn't show up 20 minutes late in the future, but when people describe where they've been stuck, and, and a lot of it comes in with language, describe where they've been stuck as where they'll be stuck. Um, and, and the other one is, another one is where, where the individuals, where he's been stuck with emotion, thought, Sensation. He hasn't liked those, but they've continued to occur. And then he thinks that's who he is, or something about him. Um, I lack motivation. I'm lazy. I'm too greedy. I'm. 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 I'm not smart enough. Um, and. And. And if that's the thought that comes from the thing, it just recirculates. I mean, if it's who you are, then I guess we need to find a way to cope with it. But it, it 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 almost never is. Right. I mean people don't come in, you know, really troubled because of their height or their shoe size. You know, I'm not sure that we can do anything with that, but learn to cope with it. Uh but 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 they're thinking the stuckness, the anxiety or the or the sleeplessness or 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 the fears or the depression is something about them. If you think it's about you, or worse yet, it is you. It's you. I am a borderline. I am a this. And when people go interface with the mental health industry, they get told that that, that, that that's who they are. They're given an identity. That's pathological, um, and I I I I think it just makes it harder to get people unstuck, rather than um, um, the um, the the other way. And w- one thing I was I was thinking about, um, like I I I I watched, I, I watched you running in the cold and talking about it. And um, and all this vapor was coming from your mouth. And I said, oh, that guy reminds me of when I was addicted to cigarettes. Um, and what it was like having all this smoke come out of my mouth. Uh, uh, and he's running in the cold. And I'm remembering what it was like to buy by the carton. Um, but um, I think I think there's a lot of jealousy. I think there's a lot, a lot of jealousy, and I think it happens because people are often positive, more positive in how they show than how they are. Mm -hmm. I mean, how are you doing? Fine. I, I, I mess with this waitress one day she came toward me with with the coffee pot because she could see my cup was almost empty mm-hmm. and she said how are you doing sir and I said oh my goodness I'm so glad you've asked I've been wanting to tell somebody all day you see earlier today when I went to the dentist I was just thinking it would be routine but no not my luck let me tell you what the guy said and and I look up and she's backing away and her face is white. And finally she says, no. And I said, no, what? She says, I, 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 I misspoke. I'm sorry. I don't really want to know how you are. <laughs> I just wanted to know if you'd like more coffee. Well, that's when everybody says fine and everybody thinks they're the only one who isn't, even though they're saying it too. Now mm-hmm. with social media, My goodness, people aren't fine. People are experiencing ecstasy. People are, I mean, they're they're beautiful. And every moment that they're photographing is is like gorgeous. And I think we can look into that and say, look at what she's got. I don't have that. I don't feel like that. I don't feel freaking wonderful uh, all, all day long. So that person has something that I don't have. And and it adds all this shame that is is left over from the educational system that use shame in order to motivate. Um, And and so I think the solution there is it's like if if you're driving – down the street and you see this guy in a Bentley um, and, and you're driving your um, uh, old Chevy, you think, damn, I wish I was that guy. I have the privilege of hanging out with and doing things for a lot of people that everybody wants to be. And Ace, they ain't feeling wonderful. I mean, oh, yeah. they, not that they don't ever, but they don't live with feeling wonderful. So if you want that guy's Bentley, we can arrange that. But you do have to take his wife.
0: And, and all of his
1: And dad. you have to take his body. Yep. And you have to take his history. And you have to take uh, that he's um, colorblind. And he's this and he's that. You have to... And, and so if we if we get it that way, I think then there's um, a, an easier time accepting, okay, this is where I've been stuck. This is what I can do about it. And, and a huge stuckness is thinking you should be ahead of where you are. Um, I didn't uh, adapt easily to athletics. I was the kid who was picked last in gym class. Like statistically and for um and, and, and so I I did what I did about that was I didn't do things that would be um, uh, physically developing my body because I was slow, fat and lazy. That's who I bought into. And right. then if I did anything, then I felt like, wow, everybody would even see more clearly that I'm slow, fat, and lazy. So I can't go ask if I can play in the team with you. I'd get contempt, rejection, stuff like that. So, so we find ways to get people free of the freaking shame that inhibits them doing something. You know, I say, you know, I'm feeling pretty sluggish and fat. And you say, hey, you want to go to the gym with me? Uh, Ace, what are you, crazy? Have everybody right. look at me and think about how I'm not the way I'm supposed to be? You say, dude, those guys are looking at themselves in the mirror nobody's got time to look at you. <laughs> That's right. And when I finally got that, I, I went and, and, and nobody was coming over to me saying, geez, you seem to be a lot fatter than me. Uh, people were were, if anything, pretty much ignored me. Or would be encouraging. Yep, yep. This orthopedic surgeon came over, patted me on the back in the locker room and said, you know, I'm watching what you're doing and I'm way impressed. And he looked like he started working out in the womb. Uh, 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 and yet, what a lift for me. I mean, I—that I, was like 40 years ago and I'm getting goosebumps. Telling you about it,
0: that's incredible. Well, I I just love what you do. I love the approach that you take. You're not shaming people. You're bringing reality to the situation. You're changing perspectives. Like what you're doing from from a neurological standpoint, you're breaking people's patterns. You're breaking these set stories, these set beliefs that they've had for years, if not decades, and you're doing it almost instantly and. More, it is just so well, powerful faster
1: than most correct it yeah, takes correct. me a few hours
0: <laughs> hey a few hours shoot I, I I was in therapy for over three years and I didn't make really any changes, so yeah uh, a few I, I will I will pay handsomely for a few hours to to get through what I was working on at that time for sure I'd invite your uh, people um please to
1: to check <laughs> us out. It's free this. Um, group every Monday evening, 7.30 Eastern. you got to register through the website. It's called Solutions. And, And what's exciting is people are getting better who I'm not talking to. And they write me letters and say, when I heard this and this and this, this changed for me automatically. I didn't work on it. It changed for me. And there's always tons of people with their hand up wanting to be personally addressed. But there are a whole lot of people I can't get to all of them, and, and it's exciting to hear that people who I don't even relate to noticed a significant
0: shift. That's incredible. Do they Can they get that on your uh, Rapid Solution Therapy website?
1: RapidResolutionTherapy.com. Okay. Look for solutions.
0: Perfect. And you said that's 7 p.m. Every Monday. 7 p.m. Eastern. 7 p.m. Eastern. Oh, That's amazing. Well, well I will, I will definitely check it point. out myself. I'm. Not, you, you've got me interested in it. I would love just to sit and listen. And I'm sure I have I still have things I need to deal with, so I'd be happy to chime oh, in. You in know, the for, fact, for that, fact that you
1: say that makes you not fit in with all these people who every time you say, how are you doing, say nothing but awesome. Why would you ask? Right. I mean, right. I feel... I relax when you say, you know, there are things about me that aren't perfect.
0: If I, if I (laughs) judged myself for every mistake I make every day or every time I slip up or slip back, like it it would just be a shameful life. And honestly, I I do have stuff I still need to work on. There are things in my life that aren't perfect. There are mistakes I make every day. It feels like at time to time, but that's what people need to hear from us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's not all sunshine and rainbows on this side of the mic.
1: You read that when you're hearing influencers are although there's a bunch of people I've met lately, some really spectacular um, gals who are out there and and have discovered the power of transparency. Mm -hmm. And you, Ace, are a, a spokesperson for the power of transparency. Because not only do you show people, "Hey, look at! I ran in the cold, and then I went to the gym," but I'm not always happy. Sometimes I'm troubled. I make mistakes. Oh, I can breathe when I'm around you. Uh, and 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 your saying that causes people listening to be then settling into an acceptance of self because. A huge obstacle, a huge stuckness in getting anything done is thinking that it should have already been done. Right. Yep. I should already
0: have been here in life. I, I should have already done no, this. No, I'm
1: too fat. I should have already been thin.
0: Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it's been an honor talking with you. I wish we had it's more so time. So much fun.
1: And but anytime you, um, I used to do a a a, a, a radio show. And, um, um, so I know what it's like to be there and have guests and do stuff like you're doing. And anybody cancels at the last minute, call me, uh, I'd be happy to do it again. This was like incredibly fun for me.
0: Um, it, same, same over here. You are just incredible. You're an incredible person. I love your mission. I love how you give yourself to help other people break through their trauma um, like you had said, when they are stuck in life, and you are just doing amazing work, and I just I can't be more honored to have had you on the show, and I definitely look forward to speaking with you again. And I, I will be on that session Monday night because I'm, I'm looking that, for that you, I'm looking for you. That sounds powerful. <laughs> so, well, thank you once again for coming on for all those you thank you, Thanks for yep. what you do for people, man. Oh, it's my pleasure. So. Alrighty. Well, take care. Have a great day for all of those of you listening. This is Dr. John Connolly. Check him out. And with that said, I I appreciate everybody listening and and I just am blessed to do this every day. So take care, brother. Bye-bye. Be well.